Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Bear Style Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football again, previewing the big matchup this weekend. USC going on the road to take on the Washington Huskies. Both teams are ranked for the first time since, I think, 2002. It's been a while. This is Washington's first ranked opponent of the year. Should be a really big game up there in Seattle. If you have any questions or comments for us, please email us, podcast at uscfootball.com, or if you'd like to call or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Megaphone, anywhere you can get your podcasts. And wherever you listen, please leave us some positive feedback. A five-star review is always awesome, giving us a nice rating. And tell your friends about the Peristyle Podcast. We keep cranking out the shows You guys keep listening, so thanks for that. You keep writing in, keep calling in. We have a lot of questions that you guys have sent in. So I've been doing this on the uh, solo shows when I bring in a guest, and today we're going to have Chris Fetters, who's the editor of Dogman.com. So we'll be talking to him in a minute. Uh, But when you know, we I'll talk to the guest, then we'll get back to questions. I'll just kind of go through them all and answer myself. I know a lot of people send them in right after the game. Then Harvey Hyde or Dan Weber or Keely or myself will answer those questions in our first two podcasts, but then they keep coming. And some are really not to Harvey or to Dan. They're just kind of in general. So I'll try to just grab those and answer them, especially when we get so many. Dan, the Dan show this week with Keely and Dan, we had so many for Dan, we didn't really get to the other box. So I'll do my best to clear out that other box. If you guys take the time to send in a question, we definitely want to make sure If at all possible, uh, we address it. But the first thing we got to do is talk about the University of Washington, what this team uh, will look like when the Trojans go up there and play the Huskies in Seattle. And no one's going to be better at talking about that than Chris Fetters. He is the editor-in-chief of Dogman.com and covering the Huskies for many, many years. Thanks so much, Chris, for coming on the show. Oh, of course, Ryan. How are you doing, man? I'm doing okay. It's just, it's funny. A little earlier today, I was doing an ESPNU radio interview where they're talking about the the game of the year of the week or something like that. They call it. It's kind of a funny segment. I actually did the show last week when USC played Utah, and I was listening to when they bring you on. You're on you're, you're on hold, but you can hear what they're saying. And I'm like, man, these guys know a lot about the University of Washington. Lo and behold, it was you being the guest before I was. So I you were uh, I think you were killing it on that interview, man. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> Those are fun, though. I mean, when a, when a, a, you got a high-profile game like this, this will be the first uh, ranked team Washington plays this year. But these are these are the fun ones. And uh, you know, you remember 2016 for, from a few years ago. Game day was there. The, the Huskies were number four in the country and uh, end up going to the playoff that year. But this is going to be, I think, going to be a really electric atmosphere. I would assume uh, in Seattle. I will. I would bet all the money that I have on it. I mean, for sure. It's just, this is just one of those things, Ryan, where, you know, growing up, 
Washington and USC playing together was always something that you look forward to. It was, you know, the, the quintessential uh, red letter type type game, right? The one you always circled on the calendar. And unfortunately, yeah, they haven't played the last couple of years. And then they had the games in 15 and 16. But before that, they skipped a couple of years. So it would be nice to get USC and Washington kind of back on some regular footing here. Um, because the last few games have been really, really, really good. I mean, you talked about that 2016 game. It's hard to think that the stakes would have been any higher for Washington, for instance, like you you laid out. They had a blackout type game. It was a night game. Everyone was asked to wear black. US ESPN game day was there in Red Square. Um, the the anticipation, the energy, the enthusiasm, it, it was it was all there, obviously. And so do I think it's going to be the same type of atmosphere? Uh, you know, for this game, it's going to be hard to tell. I mean, it's just 1230 game as opposed to a night game. Obviously, a lot more time back then to get a little lubed up and and to get the energy going. But people have been clamoring in Seattle for 1230 games now for a long, long time. So they can't they can't back away from that now. They've got to They've got to go with it. And it's going to feel let's put it this way. It's going to feel a little bit more old school than probably some of the other games that they played. I'm a little bummed, to be honest, Chris. The 12:30 game means less sailgating. And I remember that was one of the, the highlights last, well, not last year, 2016 coming up there. I think I might have posted on Dogman and got some uh, people from uh, the you know Washington Faithful to, to invite me on their boats. Uh, me and uh, my intern, Sonia, came up there. We did like a video um, collage or whatever of, uh, you know, like a report, a, a feature on sailgating at Washington. And so I, I emailed a couple of those people that I contacted back then. And I know at least one guy said they're going to be out there in the morning, but it's got not going to be the same. I would assume having a uh, nine, I mean a 1230 kickoff. Well, that's true. I mean, there's no doubt you don't, you don't have as much time to do all that stuff, but you know, you get up early enough and you, and you, you uh, get up with the dawn, so to speak and get on the boats. You can still have probably a good three to four hours if you wanted to do it. So I think you you could still probably pack in a pretty good sailgating experience, but is it like having all day to sailgate before <laughs> a night game? No, it, there's, cer- there's certainly nothing quite like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. So this Washington squad, about 20, 20 so guys or so um, from Southern California on the Washington roster. I know you had a, a content item up. We're talking to some of the players, see if they're ready for this one. Seems like guys are, but how would you how would you assess how ready the the Washington players are for this game? Oh, I think they're very ready. I think you you nailed it. Um, I think the count that I had was somewhere around 21, 22 guys from Southern California, not just the LA area, but in an Inland Empire, San Diego, that type of of, of spot and. There's no question you talk to any of those guys, whether it's a Nick Harris or a Miles Bryant or Luke Wattenberg or some of these other guys, they, you know, they, they're up for it and they don't have to tell the rest of the team what it's all about because a lot of these guys played in the 2016 game. I, I think I had eight or nine uh, current Huskies played in that game. And if I remember correctly, I looked at the USC roster and I think there's at least six or seven USC current players that played in that game too. So um, even though they, you know, the game hasn't been played in the last couple of years, there's still some feeling from that game that was played in 2016 in terms of Washington wanting maybe a little bit of redemption for uh, what happened because there was so much on the line there. But you're right. When it comes to the Southern California kids, uh, there's a there's a, a great gold mine of, of recruiting down there, as everyone knows. Every Pac-12 team 
has to have a foothold in that area to to do well in recruiting. And Washington's certainly gotten their fair share. And you know that there's going to be a lot of friends and family that are connected to those 20-plus guys from that area that are going to want to get this thing done for them. Jake Browning was the starter in that 2016 game. Uh, now Jacob Eason uh, steps in. He's been playing phenomenally so far. I know a lot of Washington fans were kind of, you know, Jake Browning won a lot of games, but there were some limits athletically, and, and people wanted to see what this offense would do with a different kind of quarterback. Jacob Eason comes in 6'6", 230 pounds. What do you feel he's done well so far? And have the fan base kind of rallied around him, you know, losing a four-year starter like Jake Browning? Well, right. It's not very often you, you you lose one of those guys, right? And and Washington also lost a four-year starter running back in Miles Gaskin. So it was kind of a double whammy going into this, this, this particular year. But in losing Browning, they lost kind of another coach out on the field. And what's interesting about a guy like Jacob Eason is he hasn't played for a couple of years in terms of a live game. But I think what's really encouraged a lot of people, including the coaches, is just his ability to kind of take what's given – make the right decision, and and if anything, he's maybe been a little bit more conservative than maybe we would have thought going in because of his athleticism, because of his size and his strong arm and his reputation as kind of a gunslinger, a guy that's going to want to throw it around all over the place. He's actually been a little bit more restrained in that regard, is trying to really kind of take what the defenses give him, and maybe in some ways he's erred it toward the side of caution in that way, which I think has actually impressed the Washington coaches because he can start from maybe a little bit more of a conservative viewpoint and then kind of open things up as he starts to get into a rhythm. Once Bush Hamden, the Washington offensive coordinator, starts getting into a play calling rhythm a little bit and they have kind of the throws that they know are working really well from the early part of the game going forward. And so I think that they've been able to kind of build on that. And I think that's been very impressive for a guy like Jacob Eason, who came in with the reputation as a guy that wanted to throw the ball all all over the place, could throw it 70 yards on a dime, but yet only kind of maybe had one speed. I think he's shown a little bit of a changeup. And I think that's been in uh, something I think Washington fans have been, uh, been impressed with. Uh, you mentioned Miles Gaskin, uh, no longer there. Salvan Ahmed uh, stepped in and played well. The speedster, if you haven't seen him uh, run, he can get around the corner pretty well. But digged up a little bit, didn't make the trip to BYU. Washington still ran the ball well against the Cougars. How, what's the running back situation now? Like maybe Ahmed's uh, injury status and then how they've looked so far. Yeah, Chris Peterson confirmed uh, to the sideline reporter against uh, or at BYU, I think it was Molly McGrath, that um, that he has a lower leg injury and he's kind of week to week. So I we're not sure exactly what his availability is going to be for USC. You know, if you err on the side of caution, I would think that they feel confident enough in Sean McGrew, Richard Newton, Kamari Pleasant, and even, even a guy like true freshman Cameron Davis. He traveled for USC. He didn't play. But he did travel, so he practiced during the week. Sean McGrew talked to us earlier, you know, in the week, and told us that he had kind of known in the middle of last week that that he was going to kind of get the nod. So they kind, I think they kind of knew early on what was going to happen with Savon, and so we'll see what's going on. I mean, Peterson doesn't like to talk about injuries at all unless they're like end of year type things, like a guy's going to lose the rest of his year because of it or it's a very, very significant like long-term type injury like most of the year. 
So with Savan, it's going to be week to week. If I had to hedge a bet, I I don't think he's going to play because I think Sean McGrew and and um, and Richard Newton had such a good game at BYU and they showed different strengths and different things that they could do. I think Washington feels like they've got enough of a change up there that they can get the job done. Veteran offensive line uh, blocking for Jacob Eason and all those running backs. Uh, how have they played so far this year? I think the coaches have been very pleased with the offensive line. They've stayed intact. They are very veteran, as you alluded to. They've got uh, three seniors, one junior and one redshirt or one sophomore, sorry, in uh, right guard Jackson Kirkland. But the two te- the two tackles, Trey Adams and Jared Hilbers, are both seniors. The center, Nick Harris, is a senior. So they've got the senior leadership in the in the most important parts of the line. And I think they've they probably had their best game of the year at BYU. They kind of came together, were able to really kind of have equal success running and throwing the ball. So they had a lot of balance there. And they certainly gave a lot of time to Jacob Eason. It was interesting. Um, you know, obviously USC played BYU. And so they, you know, there's a there's a connection there and a history of how those guys played. But BYU really just tried to create a lot of problems in terms of visuals for Eason. They only rushed three. They sat eight guys back into coverage, but he picked them apart in the first half. I mean, he really just picked them apart. So second half, they basically were starting to run some cover zero type stuff, really bringing a lot of pressure. He just started throwing some slants into open fields, and that was the end of that too. So uh, it is interesting that the the offensive line, whether they've just had to kind of sit back there and protect a little bit, or if they're having to get deal with a little bit of rush, they've seemed to have a little bit of success. And I think the the game against BYU showed that they're capable of doing a little bit of everything. Probably not a star wide receiver on this team. Seems to be kind of distributed evenly from the top three guys. What's the what's the receiver situation been like for Washington this year? Yeah, one of the sore spots with the with the fan base is they they've wanted to see some of the younger guys get a little bit more of a run because of the Cal game. And the Cal game was was the game where you had all of the veteran receivers, guys like Aaron Fuller, Andre Bocelli, um, Chico McClatcher. They all had really poor games, substandard games, a lot of drop passes. I think there was, you know, seven, eight drop passes in that game. They all had, you know, and, and typically, as you've seen, Ryan, when you when you have a really talented group of receivers, even if one guy has a poor day, the other guys usually step up and fill the void. That, that was the one game where everyone just kind of dropped the ball literally, figuratively, however you want. And uh, they came back against Hawaii. They had a really good game. At BYU, they had a really good game. But you're right. There's no real big-time guy on here in terms of the veterans that they're counting on. Fuller, Bocelli, McClatcher, and Quentin Pound should be back in there. Um, All those guys are seniors. All those guys have a lot of experience. But they aren't household names. You have to start to go down the list when you get the guys that have been a little bit more highly touted in the recruiting circles, guys like Marcus Spiker from Southern California. Then you go Puka Nakua, who I know USC fans are going to be familiar with because he committed to USC before eventually signing with Washington. So there are some guys behind the seniors that the the fans have wanted to see get more playing time. And Nakua actually started at BYU, still didn't really get targeted. uh, But the only time he's really had a touch this year was was when he scored a touchdown. So that was a great you know, play. I remember that it was like over the shoulder in the court of the end zone or something. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, you you know, the guys see that happen. All of a sudden fans are like, look, so you got to listen to us. You got to, <laughs> you got to take on board what we're telling you, man. So, uh, 
it'll be interesting to see how they mix it in because the the receivers had a phenomenal day at BYU, and I suspect they're really going to be up for this game on uh, on Saturday against USC for sure. Switching to the defensive side of the ball, uh, nine regular starters being replaced, but we've seen this from you know Jimmy Lake and Chris Peterson before. A lot of guys still with experience and some starting experience that are going to be filling in, but you know nine regular starters gone. Um, this is a group that's had a lot of success against air raid teams, specifically Mike Leach, who hasn't been able to even scratch what uh, Jimmy Lake and Chris Peterson put together. What, how have you assessed how the defense has played so far this year? Well, I think there are still a work in progress for sure, and Chris Peterson would tell you that. Um, they did only have a couple starters come back, guys like Benny Potoi, Miles Bryant, but they also had a bunch of guys that had some starts at some point in 2018. So they've had guys that, that have some experience. They have some guys that have, have seen a lot of things and a lot of different offenses. So this is not going to be a situation where they're going to be overawed at all. And especially when you do mix in the fact that USC is bringing in a form of air raid style offense that Washington, frankly, has had a lot of success against when they've gone against Washington State, for instance. So you've got guys like, you know, Levi Anzarike, Ryan Bowman, you know, Joe Tryon, who's going to miss the first half of the USC game because of a targeting call. But you got Brandon McKinney, who started the Rose Bowl. You got Keith Taylor, Elijah Molden, both uh, veteran defensive backs by now. All those guys have had, had starts at some point in 2018. So you are still dealing with a group that isn't quite as veteran, obviously, as, as 2000. Um, as, as last year, but they will, they will do some things and they will try to get some things done. It, it almost feels kind of a little bit n- more of a no name type defense. They kind of get things done collectively and there isn't one group that really, truly stands out yet. I think in time, the secondary will start to stand out a little bit more, but they need to gel. They're using some true freshmen back there. Guys like Trent McDuffie and Asa Turner, Cameron Williams has started a bunch of games now for them. So they, you know, they're they're trying to 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 roll to roll in some guys, roll in some freshmen to play in with some of these more uh, veteran type guys too. So there's still some gelling to go on, still some chemistry that needs to be created with the with all of these guys. But you're right, Jimmy Lake and and Pete Kwiatkowski have shown over the over the over time that they kind of have the formula to get these guys going. So I suspect they're going to be really really good by the end of the year, but how good they play against USC is obviously what we're all interested in right now. The uh, secondary, if I'm not mistaken, uh, been exceptional, giving up about six yards per attempt. Uh, Miles Bryant probably stand out there. He just seems to be all over the place doing everything. Seems like they've been very successful when you talk about opposing quarterbacks. Well, it's true. And, and, and again, like, you know, when you play against the run and shoot of Hawaii, you know, they showed a lot of nickel. They showed a lot of dime. They even showed uh, at some point they were running seven defensive backs out there. And they are and they can go seven, eight deep. It's legitimate. Um, the thing is, though, they're still rolling a lot of young bodies in there. They don't have a ton of experience. You know, Miles Bryant, Keith Taylor, Elijah Molden, those are going to probably be your three most experienced guys in there. You know, Cameron Williams, true freshman from Bakersfield, he beat out a guy who started in the Rose Bowl in Brandon McKinney. So they they it's not like they're trying to to just play their veterans and and relying on that experience. They really feel like 
if a true freshman is the best guy to give them the success that they're looking for and, and to, to get the give them the best chance to win, they're going to play him. And they've played Cameron Williams. They Trent McDuffie got his first start at BYU and had a uh, forced fumble and a, and a, and a uh, fumble recovery on a great play. Uh, Asa Turner, is big, the big 6'3 safety from Carlsbad, he had a pick in, in the game at, at BYU. And he's a guy that if you look at this offense, this air raid offense, the way that Matt Fink runs it, for instance, it showed at least against Utah that he, he likes to kind of throw the ball up and let the big guys like Pittman and some of these other guys run under them or make catches in one-on-one type situations, jump ball type situations. And, and USC has the talent to get that done. You know, Washington may have to rely on some of these bigger defensive backs like a Keith Taylor or an Asa Turner to try to do some damage and, and see if they can beat a, a Michael Pittman to a jump ball. Because right now USC has the receiver talent to outduel a lot of defensive backs in the conference. Washington is in a situation where they might be able to counter that, but I think that's going to be one of the big duels that you're going to see out on the field, Husky Stadium, for sure. The uh, defensive line is going to be key. USC's really had a hard time running the football this year. What kind of defensive front uh, will this USC offensive line be facing uh, Saturday? Well, again, it, it, it kind of follows the pattern of the defense. You're mixing in some guys, some veteran guys with a lot of young talent, very, very athletic, uh, very physical kids, but they're young kids. And so you've got guys like Benny Potoy, Levi Anzarike, Josiah Bronson. Those are kind of your three veteran guys. But then you mix in a couple redshirt freshmen in Sam Taimani and then another name USC fans will remember, Tuli Latuigasanoa who was committed to USC before signing with Washington a few years back. So you've got those guys, and then you've got a host of true freshmen that have that have suited up at one time or another or have played maybe a game at home or two, but haven't really shown that they're going to be a part of the regular rotation. You're looking at guys like Sama, Sama Pa'ama from Hawaii, uh, Fa'atui Tuatele from Hawaii. Uh, you've got Jacob Bandis from the Bay Area. You've got Noah Ngalu from the Bay Area. So you've got a bunch of really young but very physical, very talented defensive linemen that are going to need some time to gel. So right now they're they're really uh, kind of leaning on Benny Potoai, Levi Anzarike, um, Josiah Bronson, guys like that to really get the job done. But, you know, in terms of USC not really getting much done with the with the running uh, running game, it's that's just kind of a – is that kind of part and parcel of the air raid? I mean, that's – that's something that that you know, Washington State they certainly gave up on to to be able to throw the ball for 500 yards a game. Um, so I, I don't I don't know if that's just a, a function of the scheme, but I do know that USC has some very very talented running backs and and talking to the players and coaches in the last few days, they have certainly said we cannot give up on the run game because they will gash you because they're talented. Yeah, they do. USC definitely has some talented running backs, and they you know Graham Harrell does like to run the ball more than what a Mike Leach does, but they've had some troubles. If you know, Washington was running it for, you know, over five yards to carry against BYU. I think uh, Utah did the same thing. USC was like 3.8 yards to carry. So they tried to run the ball a lot, 45 attempts in that game and just wasn't that successful. So I'm going to, that's going to be something to watch if they're able to, when they have to uh, run the football, they actually did in the last drive against Utah, but until then they had negative yards rushing like in the middle of the fourth quarter. So wasn't ideal for that. Um, special teams can be interesting. USC sort of a feast or famine 
on special teams, some really bad plays, but some really good plays too. How has Washington, the special teams units been so far? I think if you, if you polled Washington fans, I'd say they've been probably the most impressed with the improvement from the special teams as opposed to offense or defense, because the special teams, like you said, kind of feast and famine last year. When you look at, you know, they lost a game at Oregon uh, because they had a chance to kick a 37-yard field goal at the end of regulation to win it. Had to go into overtime because they missed it. But the guy who who was responsible for the place kicking was a was a walk-on redshirt freshman last year in Peyton Henry. Now he's on scholarship and he's literally made every kick this year. Hasn't missed one kick. Then you add to that the fact that Washington just had a punt return for a touchdown at BYU, a little 88-yarder from Aaron Fuller. They're starting to get some things done in the return game a little bit. Um, I think they've given up a little bit on the, on the kick return game, just because I think they like the idea of it all averages out to, to be at the 25, as opposed to taking your chances for maybe getting a longer return, but also getting stuck in their end. I think the, the 25 is just fine for them. I think they've looked at their, their analytics and what have you. So I think they may try for a return every once in a while, but for the most part, it seems like they've not so much given up on the idea of a return, but have kind of seen the numbers, and the numbers suggest that being out the 25 is no big deal. So I, I don't know how much they're going to get done in that part of the world, but in every other aspect of special teams, I think the fans have been very, very pleasantly surprised because they've been very effective, they've been efficient, and they've been very productive. They've, they haven't... Uh, lost any chances. They've made every kick. They've taken advantage in some punt, punt return opportunities and uh, they haven't given up any monster runs. They have given up a few things in the kick return game that I know they would want to shore up. But overall, I think they've been uh, pleasantly pleased. Yeah. USC doesn't, doesn't get that analytics memo. They like to return the ball and not get to the 25. So uh, <laughs> they had a 100 yard uh, return for a touchdown. I think they keep trying to go for that, but the majority of them don't make it back to the 25. So I think you're probably right. The math people will tell you, don't do that. Uh, just start at the 25 and you will, you know, less chance of a fumble or a penalty or anything like that happening too. Um, well, a couple more quick things. We'll let you go. School just started for the Huskies. So has that impacted practice at all? Or are the players getting ready since they've, you know, get to play the first three games without having to go to class? It, it, it certainly will have a little bit of an impact. I'm sure it certainly impacted the media because we had to get all of the players on Tuesday, the day before the day school started, because the fall camp started on or fall quarter started on Wednesday, and so then we just talked to the to the coaches on Wednesday. But uh, the 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 flip side of that is that, like you said, the first few games at Washington, there was no students. There was no reason for students to show up other than if they wanted to come and watch the games and. You know, I mean, Cal might be a little bit of a draw, but because it was a night game and the lightning storm and everything else, everything, everybody bailed. And then you look at Eastern Washington and Hawaii, there's no reason to go to those games. So this will be the first game, not only the fact that school is back in session, but this is also a game that students would travel back to Seattle for. So you add that together, this could create a very good situation in terms of creating the kind of home field advantage that Washington would want to see for a big game like USC because every game against USC and Seattle, as far as Washington fans are concerned, is a big game. Last thing for you, Chris, how do you feel this one's going to go? Well, again, you know, you can bring out the cliches about how when you have two very 
good teams that are, I don't know if they're so much evenly matched because they run such disparate type offenses and defenses. Um, but, but athletically, physically, the roster wise, in terms of the, the number of stars and all that kind of stuff, there's certainly, uh, as a lot of athleticism and a lot of, uh, great playmakers out on those, on that field. So I think you're looking at, you know, field position turnovers, especially we all know how big a thing that can be sudden change plays. Um, but I also think Washington just needs to continue to show that they can run the ball and then give Jacob Eason time to play action off of that. That that really is right now where they're at their best. They will try to run some tempo at times, but I think they try to do do it in a more judicious way. They're just not always going up tempo all the time. They're not trying to be high octane all the time. They do want to give their defense a bit of a breather. And I think Washington really needs to have some maturation and some evolution in their defense overall. Their defense has been good. Their defense has had times where they've shown that they've been they've been very good, but they just need to now take that next step up because they're going to have to because this is by far the most talented team that they've played all year long in USC. Up and down the roster, everyone knows, five stars at every position. So can USC put it together? That's the big key there. And I think I think how Washington deals with Matt Fink is going to be a massive part of this game. You would think you'd want to put the game on a guy like that because he hasn't had a start until Saturday. You know, I mean, we all think Matt Fink's going to be the guy that's probably going to start, I would imagine. And if he is, if I and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, but I think this is his first career start, right? It would be his first career start, yes. Yeah, and so when you have a guy like that in a hostile environment in Seattle, you want to put the game on his shoulders. Now, you know, he threw for, what, 350 and three touchdowns against Utah, but if you go back and really dissect that game, man, there were a lot of there were a lot of plays that were 50-50 plays that all went the way of USC, except for maybe the one pick. And if, you know, if that ratio changes at all, that could really swing the game in either direction. And so I think those jump ball type plays are obviously going to play a huge part in the uh, in the end result. All right. Chris Fetter is the editor of Dogman.com. Make sure you check out his stuff on the site. Chris, thanks so much for coming on. Absolutely. My pleasure, Ryan. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Come right back and I'll do my best to answer all of your questions about this USC Trojan team. Here we go. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, we are back here. I want to try to jump into some of these questions that you guys have sent in. Thanks for all the emails and the text and everything. I'll just try to go through these uh, and uh, you know give you my thoughts on. What you what you are curious about for as far as this USC football team goes going forward? This one's from Paul. Am I the only one that's confused by the Marquis Step situation? Paul, you are not. Uh, he runs with a purpose, averages six and a half yards per carry, and adds a toughness to the offense we haven't seen in a while. Is this another Toa Lobadon situation where Clay feels indebted to Vavai? I don't get it. Indebted to Vavai. Sorry, um, I don't get it. That's from Paul. Yeah, Paul, that's a very common question. We get it quite a bit. Uh, it's more of a Mike Jinx uh, situation, I believe. I think when we talked to him in fall camp, he really likes Marquis Step. 
Uh, but he's a different kind of back. They, he hasn't run an air raid offense with a 235-pound back before, but sometimes the situation calls for someone like Step who's going to run downhill and get you positive yards. And I think that was something they could have used more of in the BYU game. I think it's a situational thing that doesn't necessarily always come up uh, in these air raid offenses, and maybe just because this was a, a roster that wasn't really built around that offense in mind. Certainly having the kind of wide receivers that you have uh, at USC would would lend to, you know, do some good things in the air raid, but having a guy like Step available, and especially when the offensive line was having a hard time pushing the ball forward, um, I you know, that having Step in there I think would have been a big deal. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. We People bring it up all the time. Will you see more Marquis Step going forward? I think it's really uh, hard to say. So this is uh, it's kind of where you are right now. Are they going to use him more or not? And I, I feel like the, all the backs are doing a good job. They all bring something a little different to the table. But when you have a hard time running the ball, you got negative yards rushing, a guy like Step would sort of reverse that quickly, just the way he can do things. So interesting. All right. Michael from Newport. Has USC ever clearly laid out what their concussion protocol is? If not, is there a doctor who listens slash participates on the site? You could have jump on to describe it to us. I played football, but I know these protocols have changed recently. And who likes to understand and I'm sorry, who like to understand how quickly a guy can come back if things look good? Okay. Thanks for fight on. Beat the Huskies, Michael from Newport. I'm not a super expert on this, and I, we don't. I don't have anybody available right now to come on and talk about. It, but there's a protocol. Doesn't necessarily mean you have a concussion. There's, uh, if they th- there's a possibility of that, and then you get you're going to get checked out. There's a baseline test that everyone does, and then you go back and do these other tests. And you know, as of Tuesday, Keen Slovis was uh, not cleared to participate yet. Uh, either was Talanoa Hufunga. They're both in the protocol. Uh, it really just depends. Um, uh, yeah, we that could probably be a good off-season thing. Get a doctor on to kind of talk about exactly how it happens. But it's it's pretty strict as far as what goes on now from the days you played, Michael. You know, my days in college. It's it's very different right now. Uh, this is from Don. Feeling good for Matt. Great performance. He's talking about Matt Fink. Uh, got to sit between Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and got a fist bump from Urban Meyer. Was USC penalized when Burnett gave Liner a high five in the end zone after a touchdown. Um, and he also wants to know where is, uh, can I uh, mouth on the depth chart? Okay. So first off, yeah, no USC didn't get a penalty. That was the Texas game. I believe when Deontay Burnett, uh, and, you know, found Liner in the end zone. I think that everybody was on high alert for anything. Reggie, we know that the um, USC staff, uh, weren't allowed to do anything with Reggie. Like people that like, if you're working there, you take say you're taking pictures on the sidelines for USC. Um, don't get Reggie in the picture. I mean, the, everyone knew to avoid Reggie like the plague. And it seemed like the referees were ready to stop any interaction from happening, but the players love him. Marquis step was like glowing year to year, you know, just by the chance to get close to him there. It's just crappy. The whole, um, it's just, yeah, it's not a great situation. A uh, you know, your USC, USC has to stand up to the NCAA, is in my opinion. They, Reggie Bush's jersey should be in the end zone. It's, it's number five. It's not even saying his name. Just tell the NCAA they got plenty of other problems to shove it. Here's what we're going to do. 
this is what's good. If you don't like it, we're going to bring a lawsuit against you. They all, they're, you know, this Friday, uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is going to sign into law uh, the rights for athletes to make money off their likeness. They're really having an issue with that. So um, they got plenty of other fight, you know, fights to to fight. Do you need to fight this Reggie Bush thing anymore? Just USC needs to stand up. Maybe that doesn't happen uh, until an athletic director is in place. Um, but you know, that's kind of where you are right now. Uh, for for Kenai Malga, yeah, he's. Um, working with the uh, the linebackers still. We're not seeing a lot of rotation and stuff there. He's getting some run on special teams, but we haven't seen him a ton. I have to go back and look at Shotgun's chart to see how many plays uh, he's been in, but it hasn't been, hasn't had a huge impact so far uh, on the defense. But Don, thanks for the question. Uh, let's see. Ira at Huntington Beach. Is it too late to tell the NCAA to go pound sand or pound salt? And and we are letting Reggie Bush uh, back into all team functions. Why is SC so afraid to push back on them? Ira Huntington Beach. Yeah, like I just said, I mean, that's something that, uh, yeah, it, USC should push back on all that stuff. And maybe it's going to take Carol Fult and whoever the new athletic director is to come in and go, this is really dumb. Reggie Bush helps the program. Like people, recruits still uh, value him. They watch his highlights, they know he's a USC. Um, he's the greatest thing that they can remember from USC in their lifetime, even though they were very young at the time. So I think it behooves USC to go and fight this and just tell the NCAA, like, this is going to stop now. Chris Weber was, uh, you know, persona, persona non grata at, at Michigan for 10 years. And he did stuff that was way worse. Uh, it's not like Reggie did anything. It was his family. So yeah. Uh, speaking of Carol Fult, this was an interesting voicemail we got. Yeah. I'm calling about the president. Miss Carol Fultz, I went to the USC-Utah game. I was happy about the result. But let me tell you what I wasn't happy to see. A halftime honoring of Carol Fultz by the USC Trojan Marching Band. I mean, I'm a fan of the spirit of Troy. But let's get serious here. It's her first year. What has she done to reserve and deserve a... Uh, 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 awards. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, yeah, I don't think she got any awards. Um, this was, she was honored by the band. That that was Friday, the day she was inaugurated. So, like, that was a big deal that you have a new president, the 12th president in USC history, the first female president. So, I, I'm going to give him a pass. I think that's okay. Uh, this next voicemail also has to deal with Carol Fult and the Reggie Bush stuff we're talking about. Here you go. Yeah, Ryan, this is correction. This is Lee from the Bay Area. Um, uh, yes, I'm uh, listening to your latest podcast with Dan Weber, talking about the Reggie Bush situation. Uh, my thought is, or my question is, for those of us, maybe we would want to, for, for some people, that maybe they would want to send a message to the new president um, stating that they would like Reggie Bush back on campus and to fight the NCAA for these ridiculous uh, rules or, or yeah, just in that general area. So um, I don't know if you can give her, give her without approval, give her email address or how to get in contact with her. But maybe if you do ever come across and talk to her, maybe you can give her that message and see how she responds. See how she responds. All right, thank you very much. Go Trojans. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, there, I think she's getting a lot of emails about that. Um, 
So like we talked about already, it's a big deal. And uh, it's becoming a hot button. Arash Markazi uh, wrote about it in the LA Times. They talked about it on one of the ESPN shows. I saw that. Get on social media. Get on Twitter, um, You know, Facebook, wherever. Share the stories that we put out there. Uh, we have one up on uscfootball.com that you know Reggie Bush should be reinstated. If you want to share that, it's a big deal. Um, you know, the more you guys put it out there on social media, the, the the more likely it's going to happen because you just put more pressure on the university to really do something. Now, it probably won't happen until you get a new athletic director in, but they'll come in and assess the whole situation and go, this is dumb, and go forward. Well, that's what you would hope. All right, Hugh and CB Valley wrote a uh, a, a quest, an email that probably has 15 questions in it. I'll go through real quick and uh, try to answer them all as you go. He says um, that he read that USC president doesn't want uh, Urban Meyer. Carol Fult doesn't want Urban Meyer. That was a report uh, from somebody. Um, so we don't know if that's true or not. But he said, I should start by asking a question. I doubt you have the answer to. Does Urban Meyer want to coach at USC? So here's the thing. Um, you know, Talking to people around the situation, Urban Meyer, if he would want to coach anywhere, USC would be at the top of the list. It just depends if he wants to come back. He's very good as an analyst for Fox. He's got tons of ties and, you know, his his, uh, kids, grandkids in Columbus. He works at the university, you know, uh, Ohio State University. Uh, So he's, he does a lot of stuff there. He comes out to the West Coast for the Fox show. Um, But if he was going to coach again, it would be to be like a, the first coach to win national championships at three different schools. You can only win championships at a handful of schools. So he's not going to go someplace like back to Utah and try to win a championship there where he already was there. He's going to go a place where, you know, if he's going to go anywhere, a place that you could win championships and that would be USC. So that's to be the USC side. That's to be the urban Meyer side, which is, we don't know, but it's, you know, there's potential there. If he would go back to coaching, USC would be top of the list or, is you, would USC want to hire someone like that? They've never done that before. The last time they hired a, an outside coach with national championship experience was Howard Jones in 1924-25, whatever that was. So this is not something USC typically does. So that that's the big question, but there's it's the obvious answer, but it's not you know obvious that that's the way things are going to go. Uh, does anybody have a clue who Carol Fult does want and what are they willing to give up in terms of control to get that person. Yeah, that's a great question. She says she's not in the business of hiring, firing coaches. That's what the athletic director, athletic director does. And she's trying to find one of those right now. Is Kyle Whittingham completely off the table? I mean, that's, you know, someone they should look at if they, if they have an opening. And is there any chance that the new head coach retains our offensive coordinator? Uh, yes. I mean, <laughs> of course there's a chance. Uh, what's the likelihood of Helton being fired midseason and appointing an interim Head coach, eh, you know, I go back and forth on this. Um, there's not a lot of great interim head coach candidates on the, the roster, and they don't have an athletic director right now. So the likelihood of midseason firing seems to be slimmer, but, you know, they go out and lose the next two games, and maybe uh, AD's in place, then I guess something like that could happen. But I don't know about uh, Dave Roberts, the interim athletic director, firing a coach. That seems highly unlikely. Um, how likely were we to lose our top commits at Helton's firing? Um, well, you already lost the top commit. I think if there's a change in the coaching staff, if there's some excitement about who the next coach is going to be, you would actually gain top commits as opposed to losing. There's no top commits to lose right now because there's there's none in the class of 2020. Uh, is there any chance we retain Helton in an athletic capacity that aids in PR and recruiting? In other words, to create a position where his strengths can be used. Uh, I doubt that highly. 
Keep up the good work. I'm a longtime premium subscriber and listen to every podcast. Uh, really enjoy your staff. Thanks for fighting on Hugh and Me Valley. Thanks, Hugh. Glad you uh, had a chance to write in. Speaking of uh, recruiting, maybe we can do some recruiting stuff. Here's a voicemail for you. Hey, this is Recruit Dougal from La Mirada, California. I'm loving the show. Quick question on the quarterback situation. We lose Young. Is Garcia a decent pickup? How does that match up? And will it affect us down the road? And is this becoming an every year situation of carrying the so-called loving USC my whole life quarterback? switching to Alabama or another school and uh, leaving us high drive. We just got lucky. Hopefully Garcia, I guess, will stick around. But I wondered, your guys, what you thought. Great show. We love it. Well, thanks for the uh, the question there. Thanks for the voicemail. Um, so if, go, if you're a premium subscriber, go listen to the Trojan Blast recruiting podcast we did with Gerard Martinez this weekend. Tons of information about this this situation with Bryce Young, uh, and then uh, you know getting Jake Garcia to commit. He's the 2021 five star quarterback from Narbonne High School. We've seen a bunch of there's film of him up there if you want to check him out. But it's a big it's a big deal. I I don't think a lot's going to be resolved until you figure out if Clay Helton's the long term solution or you go in another direction. So that's the kind of long and short of it. USC's sort of in this limbo now. I think the number six sixty two class in the country behind powerhouses like Tulane and North Texas and stuff. So it's not a good recruiting class on paper right now. And we're in September. It's not like, it's not like it's April, you know, um, this is a, you know, becoming a bigger deal. USC's in limbo. The, the one, you know, blue chip recruit they had committed is no longer committed. He's going to Alabama. Now that's Bryce young, the five-star quarterback from modern day. So it's a big deal. There's, but the situation has to become more stable one way or the other, stable with Clay Helton, stable with somebody else. However it becomes stable, then you're going to see from there recruiting go one direction or another. But thanks for that. We had a couple other ones. Uh, Tony Garcia, uh, regarding Bryce Young and his decommitment from USC, my impression about these high school athletes is they are given celebrity status at a young age, and these parents and coaches that seem to enable this type of behavior. I'm kind of disgusted by this. I remember Urban Meyer telling his first uh, ranked Florida class that their first ranking did not matter, and they had to earn it when he was with the Gators. Do you think that Urban Meyer would be would humble these egos instead of, quote, having them as their love of their lives and making these highly recruited high school prospects earn their spot by competing? Tony Garcia. Tony, um, two different situations here. Urban Meyer is a very active recruiter. He's a very good recruiter. You basically have to kiss players' butts when they're 16 and 17 years old, but once you get them on campus, it's a complete switch. So now you have to have them earn their spots. And uh, that's, that's just the kind of way it works. So um, yeah, there's a celebrity status out there and they're going to get recruited from all over the country. I mean, if Nick Saban, who makes eight or $9 million a year is like texting you and calling you up and asking you, you know, Hey, I want you to come play for me. I mean, that's a big deal. And, I, and you got a lot of players, you know, if urban Myers calling you, is uh, Lincoln Riley calling you? Is Jim Harbaugh calling you? Maybe not now. He's not doing as well. Um, is Dabo Sweeney calling you? I mean, if you're a 17-year-old kid and you're getting like pictures like celebrities. You love college football. The celebrities of the thing that you love are texting you and calling you, wanting you. Um, it's a big deal. 
But then it is a different thing when once you get to campus, you're not a recruit anymore. You're a player and you got to earn your way. Some players just go in and they start right away. Some players redshirt as five stars. So I think there's a lot of that. Um, Don wrote in, I believe a caller asked Taylor if he was a high school senior today, would he commit to USC? How did he answer? Uh, how long did he think about it? Was his response based on the win-loss record or stay of the program? So Don, yeah, he thought about it for a little while, but he said no, he wouldn't commit to USC. And that was a, so this is Taylor Mays uh, we're talking about, the former um, All-American safety at USC. He came on our Tunnel Vision show. He's been on a bunch of our shows, but um, talking about that, yeah, it was a big deal that he wouldn't, you know, he'd be looking elsewhere now. And I think that's why USC, you know, because of the instability at USC, you have to, uh, you have to, change. You, know, you need some stability in the program. Having a coach on the hot seat for over a year is not the right situation. He's got to be the guy or he's not the guy. And so I think that's where USC is right now, trying to figure out if Clay Helton is the guy and if not, uh, move on. Don also wrote in, he said, a question about punters. Uh, could someone in your analytics department give us a percentage of fumbled punts as opposed to fumbles by running backs and receivers? Um, yeah, that takes a lot. That's a lot of work, Don. You've got to ask somebody else. Uh, <laughs> I have no idea, uh, and I don't really care, to be honest. Seems like USC's punting plays are too conserved. The concept of punts with no returns is fine for a good defensive team with successful three and outs, but USC needs turnovers to raise their energy levels. I think that's fair. Long moving punts, even in the red zone, are oftentimes needed just for the sake of energizing the defense. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there, Don. I don't know about the percentage. I'm not going to talk about percentages of fumble punts. He does kick a ball that's really hard to catch if you just let him boom it. Um, you know, the hang time is great, but I think there's more. It's a, a kind of a conservative action. USC, we talked about earlier with Chris Fetters. USC seems to always want to take a risk returning the kickoff return. And, you know, most of the time they're not getting out past the 25. Just take an E, get to the 25, and, uh, you know, they would be in better shape. Now, they did have a, you know, they had a big one for a touchdown, but how many other ones are ended up inside the 25, inside your own 15 for after penalties? I don't think it evens out. So I think if you just, all of them were at the 25, you, that average would be better than what USC is doing now. And I think the same sort of thing, you got to let them, just let the kid boom it every once in a while. Like, it, it, you feel like it's like you have this restraining uh, strap or something on a on a horse or whatever and like you just sometimes you just gotta let them go out and and run and uh it seems like they're not letting Ben Griffiths get out there and run um let's see uh we have fight a uh, jack in New Jersey he says who replaces Clay Elton all right so Clay Elton still has a job just to remind everybody but I agree that I don't think it's time to discuss this but I just want to hear you uh, your opinion on one candidate James Franklin from Penn State uh, how could he be considered when he couldn't outcoach Clay in the Rose Bowl? My Penn State friends would love to have USC hire him so they can get rid of him. After listening to you for 10 years, I think you might agree with me. At least when Bob Stoops got, Bob Stoops got his beat down, it was by one of the greatest teams in the history of college football. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts as Franklin as a choice, although I have a feeling that from past podcasts, you're going to pass on this. No hard feelings if you do. I love listening to you guys. Taylor Mays was a, fu a fun addition to this week. Thanks, uh, Jack. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's someone you would definitely want to look at. The people I know that cover college football are high on him. He did lose, um, you know, in the Rose Bowl to USC. There's been some questions about some of the coaching aspects of what he does. But as far as, like, experience and, and would he be an upgrade from what USC has now, yeah, I think he would. Um, 
So, you know, it would be an interesting choice. You can't. I think you can't just look at the head-to-head that he went up against Sam Darnold and lost. Uh, a lot of people went up against Sam Darnold and lost. So we'll see. Um, we got a couple more, and we'll end this off. Uh, this is from Steven. I had a question about our defensive line. It routinely, it routinely appears to have a good push with penetration in the backfield, but doesn't seem to uh, correlate with as many tackle for losses or sacks. Is this related to our soft run defense and setting the edge? Or are they both related to gap integrity or assignment discipline? Um, he said, on a personal note, I appreciate the show, especially Coach Hyde. and used to listen to the podcast when I lived overseas in Denmark and Sweden. Well, thanks, Stephen. Um, yeah, I think, I think tackling is the biggest issue. Pressures are there. I think it's the ratio of quarterback pressures are high, sacks are low. Now, no one had sacked Tyler Huntley, and USC got a couple sacks in that game, so that's good. But there's just a lot of times where the quarterback gets away. I'm curious to see what happens this weekend because Jacob Eason isn't going to be the most elusive, unlike the last couple of guys like Zach Wilson and um, yeah Ty, uh, Huntley. So I think at this situation, you know, this case is like you got to bring the guys down. And if Ty, like a guy like Talano Hufunga can't play, he's your best tackler. Um, that could be even more of an issue. I mean, he sa- he probably saved the game a lot of different times for USC. They don't have as many guys that can tackle like him. So they're going to need it. All right. Uh, last one. Tim in Costa Rica. Costa Rica. Sorry, my my voice is kind of going at the end of the show. Okay, great win Friday night. Team appeared much more focused, but still can't run the ball. Can we survive and win consistently by relying on the deep ball to great wide receivers? Seems teams will continue to drop eight and feel they can do the job with only three up front. We can't block three guys, really. I can say pass protection has been adequate. If the Trojans can't run and move the ball... How many of the remaining eight games do you predict they will win? Also, what is wrong with Stephen Carr? He came in as the next Reggie Bush, but against BYU and Utah, he looked like he has lost a step. He should be flying by guys instead of his constant juking and trying to fake guys out. Uh, Any of you agree? He looks different. Thanks, guys. Great show. Beat the Huskies. Tim in Costa Rica. Okay. Um, Yeah, I don't think this is a sustainable model like what they did against Utah. The stats didn't point in USC's direction. If you play a game with those kind of stats, you're going to lose a lot of them. Um, now that was a pretty good Utah team and they made the secondary look awful. What will Washington do? Are they going to drop eight back? That's what they do against Washington state. I, I, no reason why they wouldn't do that. I think Utah played a little stubborn and if, uh, Kyle Whittingham could do that over again, I think he'd change the game plan quite a bit, but yeah, blocking, you know, when three guys can get pressure, we saw that against BYU. Um, that's an issue. Is that going to happen against Washington? Certainly that'd be an issue. As far as Stephen Carr goes, I don't really like the run plays that have been designed for him so far. I think he could make some quicker cuts, but he's kind of a patient runner and there's always somebody, you know, he's got a beat in the backfield. He typically makes someone miss, um, but they're just not getting him the ball in space where he can kind of run downfield and, and make some plays. So it's just not been, you know, it's not like anybody ran the ball well, um, but they, I don't think they got him in some great situations. So I, w- I wouldn't, uh, Lose hope on Stephen Carr being a big contributor yet. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Man, uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Lots of great questions. Uh, thanks for doing that. We make, Don't forget we got our um, live show Thursday night, Tunnel Vision, 7 p.m. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, we also have – we'll all be up in Seattle, so we're going to fly up on Friday. Friday night at midnight, if you're local in L.A. or not, you can listen on kabc.com. KABC, uh, the local radio station, 790 AM, will have our 
Peristyle Preview Show. Those have been a lot of fun to do. Um, you'll hear from Chris Fetters again. You'll hear from Taylor Mays. We, we mentioned the former USC All-American. Uh, Gerard Martinez will do a quick uh, recruiting uh, update in that. We'll also have Chris Trevino doing his uh, five bold predictions. We'll have some interviews from practice. And Keeley uh, Shotgun and myself will break the game down for you. So it should be a lot of fun. Make sure you check that out. We'll put it up in a podcast forum here as well. But if you're on your way to the game in Seattle or the morning of the game, you want to listen and get a real good idea of what's going on, make sure you check out the Peristyle Preview Show. All right. That will wrap it up. Uh, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 